Thanks, Nate. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you all know this or if you've picked up on it just through conversation or, or from more subtle ways, but I, I really struggle with anxiety. I've experienced anxiety attacks throughout my life. Um, uh, there, there's, and just the one thought I had for some reason, as you're talking about helping someone with anxiety, you said there's no, you know, clear, easy way to do that. And I was like, man, I was really hoping he would have something to, uh, give Alyssa who's watching online. And maybe, you know, if, if there's others who struggle with anxiety, maybe, maybe your spouse or significant other might want to start a support group. Cause I, I know it's not easy. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, I don't know if you want to jump in the chat and whatever, but uh, anyways, uh, um, but it is something that that I have personally struggled with as well. I might share a little bit about that. Before we do, though, um, we had the opportunity to something we've done in the last series and this series um, with us being so much online and digital, it just really felt appropriate to offer these additional resources. And a lot of people listen to our podcast even beyond our community. So we've done a couple of interviews and we did one for this series as well. Um, uh, this time, Uva, our um, team leader, uh, for the mental health team, interviewed um, a therapist and a lecturer at OSU, uh, Kelly Brigaman, and uh, and uh, I want to just show a clip from that. But I, but I really additionally want to just challenge you: if you or you know someone who's struggling with mental health, anxiety, depression, uh, which. Uh, given the state of kind of the world right now, there's a high chance of it. It's a very good conversation. It's very helpful. She's a, she teaches this and she practices it. And Uva is a student uh, studying this. So their conversation is just really good. Um, I want to show just a clip where she talks about beyond seeking professional help, what are some things we can do to manage anxiety, like some coping stuff, things like that. Some of the stuff Nate even touched on. Um, that's where I'm going to spend some of our time today. So to help us kind of start there, uh, let's play this uh, clip. Might be the next slide. Um, along with see seeking help, there are a lot of other things we can do to help um, cope with anxiety or depression. What are some of the most basic coping skills that, that you recommend? So one of the things that I do whenever somebody comes to me with something like that and we begin doing our work, I, one of the main things I want them to do is to really gain self-awareness around their own condition. Um, really understand how does this work? What are things that could trigger me? What are things that could be um, instances that are indicating that my that my situation is going to get worse, or that that I'm heading down a path where where things could could be exacerbated in some way? So I, I really work with them almost as a I don't know investigator, I guess, to help them really map what's going on with their specific disorder and how it, it how it manifests for them. Um, I, I think it's very important to, um, to to be aware of that. So that when we have that awareness, then that allows you to take those steps in order to prevent it from getting worse, right? So things like self-care, engaging in, in mindfulness and presence of the moment and not allowing myself to, you know, think bad thoughts or get myself all worried and, and making things worse. Um, so I think that's really helpful. I think there are a lot of coping skills that we can work with um, to sort of help the person and, and to, to be aware. Um, and then I also think probably the most important piece is having compassion with the self. Um, in some instances, you know, if this is the way that, that your brain sort of manages neurochemistry, it's, it's okay. You know, it's not something that you should be ashamed, ashamed of or, or, or see yourself as deficit in some way. It's just simply um, the journey that you're on and we, and we figure out how to, how to, how to mediate that. 
you know, um, she mentioned a number of things that I'll touch on today. One of the things that stood out and uh, that I've heard in a variety of other conversations. In fact, I have a pastor friend who's uh, preaching today on anxiety, interestingly enough, and he posted a question on Facebook and got about 100 comments asking about what people struggle with and how they have found help or what's been useful. And I was reading through those and you see these very similar themes that people talk a lot about triggers when it comes to anxiety. And so I was doing some soul searching and, um, uh, you know, and there's a number of triggers. My big problem right now, my big struggle around anxiety is triggers related to leadership, which is unfortunate, um, given my current position. Um, but as a leader, I really strive to do something. I have very unhealthy expectations for myself. I'm just being honest with you, but I, I really kind of uh, have believed most of my life that anything's impossible. I can do anything, you know, like I've, I've kind of had this personality, like I just figure it out. I still still do. It's part of my personality. Like you give me enough time and enough energy, I'll figure it out. I can, we can do anything. And uh, if, if you've been a part of our church, you probably picked up on this personality of mine. And, and, and it does enable uh, myself and people I get to work with to, to do, I think, more things. But it creates unhealthy healthy expectations for myself. I, I remember the first moment where I was encountered this because I kind of tend to be really confident and um, kind of just do ministry. And it's like really fun, uh, especially uh, when COVID isn't happening. And uh, so you just kind of do it and it's really fun. And so I'm like doing ministry, like da, 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 just doing ministry. And it's really enjoyable and I'm working really hard and things are going well. And I was doing that one time. I was working at a camp. And I was, all the ducks were in a row. I was checking off all the boxes. Things were going well. Numbers were good. You know, all the metrics you use to determine was great. And so I was just like ministry, la-da-da-da-da. And after this one event, I found out somebody was upset with me. And I was pretty young at this time, pretty young in ministry. And they were upset with me. And I was like completely blindsided by this. You know, I, I'm like, I'm a... I'm a I, I kind of have two motivations in ministry. One, I want to do what's right. Like I'm kind of a justice-oriented person. This is my Enneagram 8, if you're familiar with. But I'm also a, a 7. I'm like somewhere between the two. So I just also want people to enjoy themselves. So like my ideal situation is we're all doing what's right, but you're enjoying it. Like that's what I try to accomplish, uh, somewhere between those two, which honestly like sounds impossible. But if I have enough time, energy, conversations with people, like I feel like I can get us pretty close to there. Like we're going to do what's right, but you're also going to have fun. And um, which just sounds like my mom, but uh, or any mom. But um so I was like doing that and then I found that this person was upset with me. Like not just like upset, like mad. Like mad enough that my boss was like, you have to go take care of this. You need to go apologize. And here's the thing, I didn't even know I did anything wrong until after the fact. And that actually became this really formative story that looking back on, I realized has become a bit of a trigger for me. My, my trigger for me is doing the best that I can you know, leading the best that I can, accomplishing tasks the best that I can, and someone still getting upset. Now, I know what all of you are thinking, why in the world are you still a pastor? That's a great question. Because that, that could still happen quite a bit in ministry, right? You just, you do your absolute best. Once again, I know this is true in a lot of situations, but I have unhealthy expectations. So this becomes a trigger for me. Leading um, in such a way, doing ministry in such a way that I don't realize I've hurt somebody in the process or that somebody isn't happy or that somebody gets upset. Well, this last year, these are the things that we've been working on. I've been engaging and trying to learn stuff around anti-racism. By definition, some of the best, you know, 
conversations and books around anti-racism kind of suggest that you won't even know that you're doing it until it's pointed out to you? Do you see how that might be difficult for all of us, right? This is like, this is actually one of my triggers, <laughs> like being, realizing I'm doing something harmful and not knowing it ahead of time. Like if I knew it ahead of time and I did it anyways, then I'm like, well, that's just me being stupid, but not knowing it and doing it, well, there's anti-racism, COVID. I, I didn't learn this in seminary, you know, how to navigate a pandemic. I didn't learn it. And I have no, we have no clue what we're doing. And, 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 and there's, here's how, here's how one of the ways I cope with this on a leadership level. Have lots of conversations with people, usually one-on-one. -on -one. You know, just sit down, get lots of ideas, bounce off my ideas, see where they need tweaked. Like, fix it all before it becomes official, right? That's how I cope with this as a leader. Well, that has been impossible. <laughs> like, there's, so, there's some people here today I haven't seen in probably a year other than a little bit outside or things like that. So how do, how do, you, how do I use that coping mechanism now in the midst of 2020? Or even just uh, with marriage, uh, if you're married or you've been with somebody for a long time, you know, the idea that you could get it all right without being told that you got something wrong, you know, it just doesn't, it's not how it works, is it? Like, you'll, you'll have to be called out. So for me, these create an immense amount of anxiety. And I share this with you because I know that there are others in our community, as we've heard some stories, that struggle with anxiety and your triggers and your experiences might be different, but doing the work of being self-aware and wrestling with it and surrounding yourself with great people. And I just want to add, as a church, even though I struggle with anxiety, it's not because our community necessarily creates anxiety. It's just my personality. We have some of the best staff. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at Denise, not to call you out, but I'll stand up here and tell you all, you know, we should have grace for one another. And then she'll be like, Joe, you need to have grace for yourself. So the truth of the matter is, this is something that a lot of people struggle with, especially since COVID happened. It's, it's been a difficulty for people, anxiety and depression. They, uh, the Census Bureau has been doing polling around anxiety and depression since the start of COVID and the isolation and job loss and all of these factors, uh, lack of childcare, all of these factors create high levels of anxiety and depression. They ask a series of questions. I want to put these questions out to you so you can think about your own journey. Uh, these are the polling questions. Here's the first one. They said, uh, uh, over the last seven days, how often have you had little interest or pleasure in doing things? You know, is it not at all, several days, more than half the days, or nearly every day? Think about this. Number two, they asked, um, over the last seven days, how often have you felt down or depressed or hopeless? Not at all. Last seven days have been great. Several days, you know, more than half the days, nearly every day. Number three, over the last seven days, how often have you felt nervous, anxious, or on edge? You know, not all the days, several days, more than half the days. Over the last seven days, the next one, how often have you not been able to stop or control your worrying? Not at all, several days. Well, when they surveyed, here's uh, kind of the results that came up. We'll have to put this one up full screen if you can, uh, Peter. So the average uh, share of adults reporting on these symptoms from 2019 and then into 2021, this is how it changed, giving some sort of experience of systems. 11% of the, the average share of adults said, yeah, you know, I'm experiencing symptoms related to anxiety or depression. In 2021, those numbers jumped up to 41%. It's a huge spike 
of people experiencing symptoms related to anxiety and depression. Uh, go to the next slide. Here's how it kind of breaks out. Um, how people have experienced anxiety. That's the first uh, column, 35.8% uh, of adults uh, anxiety-related, 28.4% uh, of the adults um, uh, symptoms related to depressive disorder, and then 41.1% anxiety and or depression, so kind of like just the, the combination of the two. Uh, next slide. Here's how it breaks down between gender. Women is that first one, 49% uh, of women are experiencing symptoms related to anxiety and depression uh, compared to 40% of men. One of, the, one of the things that has come up in the conversation is, is around childcare over the last year. And um, I've, I, I don't know all the statistics, but I've read articles about a lot of that falling on women and how it's impacted women in the workforce. And, 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 I, and I, I'm not a, a statistician to interpret anything, but I see these numbers and it just makes me think of that. Uh, here's the next one. Uh, here's how it's played out in race. The top one being other uh, non-Hispanic. Uh, the next, 48% uh, non-Hispanic black. Then Hispanic Latino, 46%. All adults, on average, is 42, again. And then non-Hispanic white be 40%. So very similar, but you see, you see slightly higher rates of things related to anxiety and depression over this last 20, uh, 2020 year uh, for minority groups. And the last one, I think, is especially helpful to look at as well. This is how it breaks down compared to essential versus non-essential workers, especially over 2020. You, you see that those experiencing anxiety is slightly higher. That's the dark blue one, 42%. Uh, symptoms of anxiety or depressive order as uh, uh, an essential worker versus non-essential. And then increased substance abuse used to cope with stress or emotions, 25% um, for essential workers versus 11% the rest of the population. And then the last one, seriously considered suicide in the past 30 days, 22% for those who identify as an essential worker, you know, working, not staying, you know, going out, working, versus 8% for the rest of the population. So I share this with you because I, I want us to constantly be a church of compassion. And I know we are, but it's helpful to have information. And, and if you're listening today, especially if you're somebody who's like, ah, you know, I don't know why people are so stressed out. Well, uh, that's maybe the wrong question, because they are. Um, people are struggling. And a better question is, okay, how, how can I help? What can I do about it? I want to center a little bit about a verse, um, and then I'm going to share a few other thoughts. But one verse that comes to mind, it's a very popular verse. Uh, I'll, I'll reference it uh, at least twice if, if I get, have enough time to get through all my notes. Um, but it's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. So I'm going to read this, uh, and then we're going to look at some ways that we can kind of think about anxiety and depression, specifically anxiety today, and we'll talk more about isolation and depression next week when we're outside. But uh, this, is a, this is a great verse to, to kind of be aware of. It's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. Um, we recognize that we uh, live in a world that's struggling with a lot of different things. You invite us uh, in response to the anxiety that we experience to come to you in prayer um, and with thanksgiving, and so we do that. Lord, I ask that you would guide my uh, thoughts and my minds, uh, my words, as I share a little bit of your word and some best practices around anxiety, that it could be helpful, and that whatever I say, Lord, your Holy Spirit can take it and, and use it for good. 
We give you thanks, Jesus. Thanks for meeting us. In your name, amen. I want to share some things that I think will help. Uh, these show up in a lot of different places, so I don't have one individual source. Some of it was from the interview we did, some from people sharing personal stories, uh, from my own uh, therapy. I've had a chance to sit down with a therapist a number of different times, and uh, uh, as well as research and experience different things. So some of this pulled from different things, but here's just a couple of really brief thoughts that I hope will be helpful for you or if you know somebody who's struggling with anxiety. Here's the first one. Um, mindfulness. Mindfulness. There's something about anxiety that is rooted in uh, fears and worries of the past and fears and worries of the future. Like it's so future and past oriented. Um, like I'm so worried about what I said that one time or I'm really worried about what's going to happen here. And one of the ways that we can help manage uh, anxiety or if you're listening, uh, if yours or, or maybe you can offer some help to somebody is, is finding the present. And I forget about this often because what my primary source of anxiety is mostly in my head, and, and so this might not apply to everybody, but it's mostly in my head. It's things that I'm thinking about, and I allow these thoughts to get out of control, and they spiral, and then it escalates, and then I start having physical symptoms and all this sort of stuff. And one of the things that has been helpful is this sense of mindfulness. And there's a lot of ways that people do this. Sometimes they do breathing practices, you know, just kind of breathing. Um, uh, honestly, uh, exercise is, is, is one of the benefits of exercise is it kind of grounds you in the present. It kind of forces your mind off of those things into like what you're doing. It kind of does that. Um, some people, honestly, this might sound strange, but sometimes I just have to like kind of touch something. Just be aware of where I'm at. And if, if you ever struggle with anxiety, this actually can be really helpful because I could be right now thinking about all of the concerns like in the back of my mind. My preaching is autopilot, so now like in the back of my mind, what I'm really doing is worrying about what everyone thinks about me and what I'm saying. But when I stop and I'm like, oh, I'm here. Now I got to be careful because I am in front of a bunch of people, so this isn't helpful. But I'm here, you know, I'm in this space, I'm in this room, and it can be really helpful. Matthew 6, 34 says it like this. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's, it's another way of saying the sense of like one of the ways that we can deal with the stresses of life is like, okay, what's right now? What, what, I, I, what does it mean to be present right now? There's this really great psalm, Psalm 46. It says it like this. Uh, he says, God says, be still and know that I am God. I love that. I mean, that's the command to be present, isn't it? To be still, God says, and know that I am God. Uh, my friend pointed out to me this, this, uh, this psalm is actually a little bit more profound if you read it in context, because Psalm 46 isn't like Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is this beautiful, the Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me beside still waters. Like, that's the kind of what I imagine when it says be still, like go find a quiet place by a stream and sit, and then you can kind of like meditate and sit in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 46 isn't that psalm. If you read Psalm 46, it talks about war and violence. It talks about the mountains falling into the ocean. It talks about bows and arrows and death and destruction. And in the context of all of that, the psalmist is like, the Lord is your refuge and ever presence help in trouble. Therefore, be still. The, the psalm is this invitation that when the whole world seems to be falling apart around you, which if you've ever struggled with anxiety, you know exactly what that feels like. It's an invitation to say, no, 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 okay. What does it mean to be still? I'm here. God is here. Be still and know that I am God. The mountains might be falling into the ocean. 
we, you know, we, we finished our climate series, you know, last, last week, but you know, like the mountains might be falling into the ocean and, and God says, be still and know that I am God. First one, mindfulness, being present. The second, the second thought I have is, is rest. Um, this is really important. We, we live in a culture that creates value based on what you produce. It just does. And I, I'm just here to tell you that your value is not based on what you produce. It, your value is not based on how much you accomplish at your job, at your volunteer work. It, your, your value is not produced by how much you're able to accomplish. Uh, this is, I think, really helpful. The work in this world, whatever work you do, it will continue. It, it's never, you're never going to run out of work. Um, but this is what it means to be a follower of God. All the way back to the Old Testament, Exodus 23 said this, you have six days each week for ordinary work, but on the seventh day, you must stop working. The work continues, but God commands us to stop working. And here's why. Because if you don't stop working, if you don't find time to just say, you know what, I can't keep going, I can't keep worrying, I can't keep pressing on, it's too much. If you don't find, if you don't listen to God's voice and say, okay, I need you to stop working, here's what happens. Work becomes your God. Work will determine your value. Work will determine, you know, your status. Work will determine your your, your schedule. When God gave the people of Israel a Sabbath, a day of rest, one of the reasons for that was God wanted to remain their God and God knew that work would consume them. But by saying, you know what, there's still, there's still more work to be done, but I'm not going to do it. and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to try not to think about it. Anxiety for me, uh, somebody said this in Facebook, anxiety for me usually comes from having more on my plate than I can handle and feeling the weight of responsibility for it all. You know, the command to take a Sabbath is bigger than rest. It's about managing our expectations for ourselves. So if you're listening, I want you to hear this. You're human. You're not limitless. Self-compassion, understanding that there are limits to what you can do, saying no to things, having boundaries, taking time to rest, taking time off. Oh, this is important. Whether you struggle with anxiety or not, it's important. Um, Willing to take a break is important. So mindfulness, Rest, you know, telling work where it has work. You can have my life up to this point. After that, you don't get it anymore because you're not my God. The, the third idea that I want to share that I've seen in various places is gratitude. This verse, four, Philippians 4, 6, says like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. One of the things that you'll, you'll hear, I've heard people learn this from therapists. Uh, you can learn it from scripture. You can learn it from a variety of different places of social scientists. It, it, we, across the board, theology, social scientists, we all agree gratitude is a powerful tool in your toolkit for whatever it is you're struggling with. If you're just having a bad day, gratitude is this powerful tool. I've, I've read studies where it helps you sleep better if you go through and list five things that you're thankful for at night. I shared that when we did a sermon on, thanks, uh, on Thanksgiving on gratitude once. But when it comes to anxiety, it does that as well. One of the things they found with gratitude is that when you're thinking about what you're grateful for, when you're just listing those things, it increases your ability to be kind. The gratitude actually increases your ability to be kind, uh, not only to others, but also to yourself. Um, you give yourself a little bit of a break. Gratitude just opens up the door and expands your ability to offer compassion to others and to yourself. And that's huge because a lack of compassion is a major fuel for anxiety, you know? Um, And so anything we can do individually as well as for others. 
A few other ideas I just want to share. Um, exercise, a number of people, including myself, have found getting outside, exercising to be very good. Exercise is great for a number of reasons. One, it, it diverts attention from whatever it is you're thinking about. Uh, it actually helps change your brain chemistry because you've got a different set of a chemicals releasing in your head. Um, and I'm not, I don't understand that stuff. Someone smarter than me, Nate, as a doctor, could probably speak to that. Um, but it also builds up resilience. To, you can actually handle challenges better because you've been able to handle these physical challenges. Like it, you can build up resilience through exercise. For me, um, and I don't know what it is for you, but getting outside, getting fresh air, getting sun, all of these are beneficial. Or even just finding those things in your life that you enjoy doing. I heard one person that just has a list of things they almost enjoy in every situation. And uh, they keep that list. And when they're having a bad day or they're having high anxiety or they're feeling really down, they go to that list and they're like, right, what, what, I'm going to do a couple of these things on the list because it's I, they typically lift me up, whether that's, for me, it's going outside, getting some fresh air, walking around, things like that, or hobbies. The other thing that's really uh, helpful is, uh, and this is where I want to end, is it's really important, you can't do it alone. You, you just can't do it alone. I, I want to read this verse uh, out of Matthew, and, and I, I want to leave it with you because it's, it's Jesus talking. It's, a, it's not a translation from Jesus' words. It's an interpretation through the, the book, uh, the transliteration called The Message. Uh, so I just want to, as a Bible person, I want to let you know it's not an actual translation, but I really love how it's being interpreted in this particular translation uh, called The Message. And it's Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, and it says this. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. A couple things come to mind with this. First one's obvious. Jesus has an extended invitation to all of us. Jesus says, come. I think this is really important for us to say. I know that religion and church has, is the source of some people's anxiety. That's just, that's just reality. Their experience of Christianity has produced painful experiences that is a trigger and a variety of other things. But that's church, that's religion, that's f people. And people fail all the time. I don't believe God wants that for us. God has invited us into a life of abundance. And Jesus has invited us to live freely and lightly. And he says, come, take my yoke, is how the, the, the actual, you know, come, take my yoke, come work with me, live with me, and I'll show you a different way. So there's this invitation from God. God doesn't want us. God wants us to have peace. God wants me to have peace. And that's important to hold on to. The other thing I get from this verse is that we, as people of Jesus, should model the ways of Jesus. That, that when Jesus says, come and be with me, I'll show you a different way, that's what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus. We should be that to other people. And, and in fact, this is how Paul says it in, in Galatians 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. You know, Jesus said it earlier in the Gospels before Paul wrote this. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment, the, the law, you know. But Paul almost like takes it one step further, which I think is really interesting because we can say love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes I, I wonder if we just mean that like hypothetically, 
You know, like love is like a feeling. And so like I feel good about my neighbors and that means that I'm loving my neighbor. Paul like didn't want us to get stuck there. Paul wanted us to understand that loving your neighbor actually means doing something. That if you're not carrying something that's heavy that your neighbor has, you're not loving them. And so Paul says, come, carry each other's burdens. Take some sort of action that's going to cost you. In fact, one way that you can ask yourself if you're effectively loving your neighbor is this. Does it cost you? Now, as somebody with anxiety, that gives me a little bit of anxiety, you know. Sometimes I've, I feel like I, I'm, all, I'm all empty, I'm all out. But maybe there's people here who, who aren't. And can you give? Can you help? Can you lift? Can you come alongside somebody? My last thought is simply this. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of, of kind of working through some of this stuff. And honestly, um, there's people in our church that would love to talk to you if, this is, if you're struggling with something. Uh, I will say especially that if you are thinking about suicide, please reach out. Uh, call the suicide uh, hotline um, and, um, and or uh, reach out to a professional. Get the help that you need. I really mean that. And there are people here. I would love to talk with you. There's other people who love to talk to you. And we have a fund specifically to help you see somebody. If you want to talk to a counselor, there's no shame in it. I see a counselor. My wife does. Many people in our church do. There's no shame in it. And we've been able, through the Mental Health Fund, help people start seeing a counselor. And this is the coolest part. Right at that beginning, this all started because I... um, me and Alyssa were, were having a, a rough time in our marriage years before the mental health fund, very early in the church plant time. And, and we went to see a counselor. Um, we, we kind of finally got bad enough, right? It always has to get bad enough. And I don't think that's great, but we got bad enough. We went to see a counselor. This was like probably two or three years ago at this point. And we go to this place and we sit down, we do the intake and they tell us, well, to do this right, we're going to have to meet. I'm going to have to have my own counselor. Alyssa will have her own counselor and then we'll meet together. And so all in all, um, we're going to be paying for three counseling sessions a week. And at that point in our marriage and the, you know, our salary and our debt, I was like, no, <laughs> like I, you can't do like, we just not even like, you can't up our budget by $300 a week. Like that's just not, that's not happening. So they're like, well, the receptionist can, um, can uh, help you uh, figure out some more affordable alternatives. So I leave the intake and I go to the receptionist and um, uh, I love to, you know, mask my anxiety with a little bit of humor. So um, I'm asking her for some other referrals. And I was like, you know, it's funny because we're here because we're in financial trouble and it's impacting our marriage. But, uh, you know, that means we can't afford the help we need. They didn't think it was funny. It wasn't funny. Sometime after that, um, other people identified the willingness to say, hey, you know what, if, if we weren't in a crisis you know, if we had had some time to get some work through some stuff, we could, probably could have figured that out. We ended up finding a, a more affordable alternative. But if we could have gotten out of the crisis, then we could have managed it. And that's what we found with the mental health fund. People who sign up, we help cover up to like five first sessions. And what I've found is individuals, once they've kind of used that, um, uh, once they've gone through that, they find themselves oftentimes out of that emergency crisis situation. And a number of people who we helped start seeing a counselor are still seeing a counselor and they're paying it for themselves because they're out of that emergency, right? So now you can kind of like figure it out and you, you're like, you can, okay, now I have the capacity to rework my budget and make it work. And, and so if that's you, if you're like, hey, I'd like to, we're here to walk alongside you. We're here to offer some 
recommendations, uh, people that might be a good fit, that, that people in our community have experienced, and help you cover it to, to, to help you manage whatever it is that you're currently seeing. Uh, whether, there's some counselors that'll meet in person, and there's many, most in fact, are meeting still online. So it's very easy, and we'd love to talk to you about it. Reach out to myself. I can also get you connected with our mental health team. Uh, and if you go to our website, centralcity.co, you can do that. So one of the ways that I love to uh, feel better and to enjoy life and to kind of deal with anxiety is to get outside and be around people. So there's no better action step than to join us next week. We're going to be outside, pray for good weather. We will be there rain or shine. So if it's raining, we'll be inside. They have a space. It'll just keep everything simple. We won't be live streaming. So if you're joining us online, you'll have to catch the podcast if you can't make it out. Uh, we will have a podcast. But come on out to Camp Mary Orton. Register. We'll have kids activities. We'll have worship. Um, you can go on a hike. You can check off so many of these action steps next Sunday and, of course, many times before then. But uh, I encourage you to come and be with us as we connect with each other in a safe way and, uh, and, and get some fresh air. So with that, will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we just give you thanks. We give you thanks that you're able to work in us and through us and that your spirit is working even when we're not. That even when we kind of pause and stop and when we say, I can't do it anymore, and we take a break or we learn to say no, that uh, you're able to continue working. You're able to continue working in our lives and in our community and our families. Would help us remember that we are not God. We are only human. And that you don't love us less because of that. You, you love us more. You created us to be us. And you, your son came and died to save us, to redeem us, and to heal us. So, Lord, use these, these teachings, these resources through the power of your spirit to continue to heal us and to work in us. That we might love each other and love you. And by loving each other, we might carry each other's burdens with compassion and grace, gratitude. In your name. Amen. <laughs>